Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, what's up, Hope Community Church? How are we doing today? Well, it is great to see y'all. My name is Duane. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. And I'm excited today because we are continuing in a series that we started last week. Chase Garner, our teaching pastor, shared a message with us in this new series called This Verse Changed My Life. And let me just tell you, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see all of y'all watching at GetHope.tv. And I'm also excited to see those of you who have joined us at one of our physical campuses. This is going to be a great series. And I'm I'm excited. Now, last week, Chase kicked us off and he shared the first verse. But this week, I'm going to be sharing a verse with you that is probably pretty familiar to most of you. Uh, Truthfully, if you've in any way been around church, you've probably heard this verse. If you've been honestly almost anywhere, you have probably heard this verse because it is that familiar. I have had encounters with this verse at just about every single stage of my life. Well, what verse are we talking about? I'm glad you asked. John 3.16 is that verse. And you see this verse all over the place. I mean, if you go to a football game, it's there in the stadium. Somebody will probably be holding up a sign. You see it on bumper stickers of cars. And you see it in the eye black of football players like Tim Tebow. It's that pervasive in our culture that we see it all over the place. But you might ask the question, why? Why that verse? Because it's really powerful. And it makes its way into all kinds of places. I have seen it in some unusual situations. Now, I had the privilege of living out in California for a while. And if you've ever lived out there, you will know that it's just a different place to live. Uh, There's a a lot of different folks. Uh, There's some different things to do, too. And, And I had a good time out there. But the thing that I enjoyed the most about California was a place, and if you've ever been to California, you're gonna know this right away, a place called In and Out Burger. Anybody ever go to In and Out Burger? Yeah, I got a couple amens in the room. Um, That's a, I don't know if you can amen In and Out Burger, but they just did. Either way, (laughs) I had a chance to hang out at that place a lot and I spent a lot of time there. And there's nothing really amazing about In and Out Burger. It's just like your regular burger. They actually have kind of a flaw in their program. Um, They don't put bacon on their burgers and that's a problem. Let me just tell you right now. But that's a problem for a different sermon, different topic. Um, But either way, they do have this amazing redeeming quality about themselves. You see, In-N-Out Burger was founded by people of faith. And so on the bottom of every single soda cup that In-N-Out Burger sells, they put this passage, John 3.16. You see, it makes its way into all kinds of places in our culture. And again, you're probably asking the question, why? Why this verse? Why is this verse so important? And you see, I remember my first encounter with this verse. Uh, I was a little kid. I was probably about nine years old. And if there was ever a kid that needs a savior, it was me. Because I was a mischievous kid. I got in a lot of trouble. How do you know your child's going to be a pastor? 
They get kicked out of just about everything. So they recognize very quickly that they need a savior. And I was that kid, right? I got kicked out of Sunday school. Now, a few weeks back, Chase, Chase shared how he got kicked out of middle school and how he got kicked out of high school. Well, one up for you, Chase. I got kicked out of Sunday school. How about that? And I recognized very quickly my need for a savior. But I remember being kicked out of Sunday school and sitting out in my familiar seat, the trouble chair, the one that they put out in the hallway for the kids who caused all the problems. I was that kid. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, Miss Brown, came up to me. Now, Miss Brown had a way with us as kids. She kind of shared some great messages and some thoughts with us. But I remember the look on her face. You see, I had been in class and we had been learning about the love of God. And we had been actually kind of perusing through this verse, John 3:16. And she came out in the hallway and she looked frustrated with me. She sat next to me and she said some words to me that stuck with me for the rest of my life. She said, Duane, if you understood the idea that God loves you, not only would you never joke about it again, but it would change your life forever. If you began to understand the idea that God could actually love you, it would change everything about who you are. And I was nine years old and that verse still to this day speaks to me. It was my first encounter with that verse. It was my first understanding of it. But it was also a moment in my life where I recognized God might actually love me. Such a profound verse, right? You see, this verse is just about everywhere. And what I've seen in my experiences is that there's about three different observations that we have of this verse. There's three different experiences that we have with this verse. And every single one of us probably falls into one of these categories. Either you have seen the verse at a stadium or, or on the eye black of a football player and you have no idea what it means. So for you, it's not really that important. It's just one more Bible verse in a series of Bible verses. Or maybe you're a different kind of person and you have seen this verse and maybe at one point in your life, the verse had a huge significance for you. So you saw it, it made a difference in your life, but you've seen it so much over time that maybe for you, the verse has lost a little bit of its luster and maybe it's become a little too familiar. And then there's this last group. That's kind of where I am right now. This verse has absolutely changed my life. It has already changed my life and so much of that has changed that I want to see it change other people's lives. Well, listen, today I'm going to share with you a little bit of my journey and my experience and how you move from that first category all the way to the end and that last category. So if you have your Bibles here, don't want you to do. Go ahead and open them up and you can go ahead and turn over to John 3.16. Now, if you are watching at home at GetHope.tv or you're watching at one of our physical campuses, the verse is going to show up on the screen for you so you can just follow along. And I would like for us to do something a little bit different, something new at Hope. I would like for all of us to read it together. We're going to try to stay together, okay? So we're going to start at verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 16, and we're going to read all the way through it. So here we go, together. For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Uh, let's do it one more time together. Here we go. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let me just say right from the beginning that that is a power-packed verse. And I know it's short, but it's power-packed. It's like my friend Doug Stride, who's a new campus pastor at Apex. Might be a little short, but it's power-packed. Let me tell you right now. It's just that kind of verse. It's powerful. It it speaks to our very souls. And and the, the part that kind of starts it out is just a powerful part in and of itself. The first part of that verse says this. Let's just kind of dissect this a little bit. It says, for God so loved the world. The truth is, is that just that alone could be its own sermon. The idea that God would love the world. Because when I hear that, I think about all the people in my life who cause some challenges at times, you know what I'm talking about? I know we like to think that we're like this lovable bunch, but the truth is, is that we can kick out some stress. So when I hear that God loved the world, I'm like, the whole world? Like everybody? Like my Uncle Willie? God loves my Uncle Willie? Has God met him? UNC fans? God love UNC fans? Okay. It's challenging. And I think the reason why it's so challenging for us to think that God could love the world is because our examination of love doesn't exactly look like God's love. I mean, we use the word love to describe just about everything. Uh, We use love to talk about our football games. We use love to talk about our car. We'll say, I love my car. And then in the same voice, in the same tone, we'll say, I love my wife. You see, our definition of love is kind of skewed, and it's a little bit all over the place if we're honest, but the love that God gives us is a very different kind of love. When the text says here that God loves the world, it's a different kind of love. You see, the love that's associated with the love that God gives is the old Greek word. It's the word agape. It's like this sacrificial, no-strings-attached kind of love, and that's very different than the love that we have seen. And it makes you kind of ask a question when you think about that kind of love, like this self-sacrificial kind of love, like like why does God give that kind of love? Well, Well, part of the reason that he does that is because it's just in his very nature to be loving. That's who he is. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at 1 John chapter 4, there's a passage of scripture. It's really short. Here's what it says. God is love. Doesn't get any more plain than that. You see, the reason why God can provide that kind of agape love is because at the very core, at his very nature, at the the heart of who he is, is this concept of love. He is love, so he gives love. Like he does what he is. He is what he does. And so God is love at his very core. And the kind of love that God gives is very different from our kind of love. Uh, As a matter of fact, it's a love that goes beyond any kind of thing that we could set in its way. He loves us on our worst day, and he loves us on our best day, and he loves us in the, the places in our lives that are difficult. You see, God's love reaches beyond all of that, and it somehow finds a way to find us in the most difficult positions and moments of our lives. It's just amazing love. You know, Psalms 
is a book that kind of gives some poetic language to this kind of love that we experience when we're in relationship with God. Uh, if you were to look at one of the Psalms in the early part of Psalms, Psalms chapter 36, here's what it says about God's love. And it's talking about the grand nature of God's love, how big God's love is compared to our love. And here's what it says. It says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice is like the great deep. Translation, that's a great big love. And that's, that's huge. That kind of love that's so, so big that it's even hard to describe it. But somehow that love seems to find its way, focuses attention and energy into our very small lives and our very small hearts. Uh, towards the end of Psalms, there's some different language that talks about God's love. Here's what it says. It says that you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You see, that verse describes an intimate God. So somehow in God's love, he is capable of loving us with this vast love, but focusing that energy and attention on every single one of us. Uh, it's just this unthinkable, amazing love. And I think that's because our understanding of love is very different, as I said before, from God's understanding of love. You see, I was reading some quotes about this kind of love, and there's an author who says it this way. He says, though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, he loves us perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without a compass, God's love encompasses us completely. He loves every single one of us, even those who are flawed or who have been rejected or who are awkward or who are sorrowful or who are broken. And he extends that kind of love to every person. That's amazing. One of the scholars that I love to read is Augustine, and Augustine says it this way, God loves each one of us as though there was only one of us. You see, if you hear nothing else from this message today, the first thing that I want you to take away from this message is that God loves us. And his love looks much different than our love. His love is wide and deep and it finds us in the places where we go. It finds us in the difficult moments of our lives. It finds us in our failures and our faults. God loves us. Uh, let me make it more personal. God loves you. God loves Eric and Andrea. He loves Kevin and Keisha. He loves Sean and he loves Shantae. God loves you. So if you don't grab nothing else, I know that that alone has the power to change your life, the reality that God loves you. Uh, but it doesn't stop there because when you love somebody, you do something about it, right? You don't just say that you love a person and you don't do anything about it. You actually put it into practice. So God loves us, right? But he did something about it. The, the Bible goes on to say in that passage that he gave his only son for us. Now, my wife and I, we have two children. We have one daughter and one son. And when I see that passage that he gave his only son, that's really difficult for me, y'all. I can't even imagine what it must mean 
to give up your son for other people. I mean, it's just, it's like the most amazing gift that anybody could ever imagine to give up one's son for others. And I don't mind giving. I'm actually kind of a giving person. I, I like actually giving gifts. I like receiving gifts. I mean, uh, that's actually one of the highest scores on my love language test. I like a good gift. Because I think that a good gift talks about the person that gives the gift, right? Uh, when you get a good gift, you get excited about it. I get excited about a good gift. Um, I have one member of my family who is really bad at gift giving. And if he's watching, he knows who he is. Let me just say that right now. He gives the worst gifts, y'all. I remember being 15 years old and him telling me, hey, I'm going to bring a gift over for you. Stay at the house. And I was like, cool, well, bring it on over. I'm excited. Now, at 15, you got some big ambitions. And so you're thinking about a big gift. I'm thinking it could either be a PlayStation 1. I'm older. Let's move on. That's the number we were on. Or it could be a car. Big box, PlayStation 1. Little box, car. Either way, I was excited. Well, he showed up and I stayed at home and I was waiting for the gift to come in. And he shows up. It's a little box. It's probably a car. And, right? and I got excited. The box comes in the house and he is grinning from ear to ear. And he walks up and he brings this box to me. And so I start to open the box. I'm getting excited, y'all. I'm like, look at the box. This is going to be a good gift. I open the box and this joker got me. I'm, I'm not kidding. This joker got me the worst gift that I've ever been getting. He got me soap on the rope. <laughs> Listen, family, let me explain what soap on the rope is. It's soap with a rope on it. I'm not even sure what to do with soap on the rope. I'm not sure whether I spin it, throw it. What do you do with it? I don't know. But that's the gift he got me. And I think he expected like this great response because the look on his face, he was looking at me like, I got you a good gift, didn't I? And I was like, no. I didn't say no, but I was looking like no. And he was like, well, if it's a good gift, tell your face. Because your face is saying it's not a good gift. And it wasn't a good gift. You see, here's the thing about gifts. Gifts have a response to them. Every single gift that you get has a response. So if you get a gift that's not so great, it's going to come with a not so great response, right? But if you get a good gift, it's probably going to have a good response. Like I've been married for 23 years, and when I give a gift to my wife, I know her well now. So when I give her a gift, I'm expecting a response. I'm over there smiling. I'm like, she's going to cry. She's going to cry about this. this is gonna, I'm going to get a hug. I might actually get a kiss. This is going to be a good gift. You see, here's the thing. Gifts demand a response. A great gift demands a great response. And in the gift that God gave us through Jesus, it was the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. Let me tell you what I mean. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he was sent by his father, God, and he was sent for two reasons, right? There were two reasons that he sent us. One, uh, I talked about a little bit earlier because he's just a loving God, right? He loves us, so he did something about it. But the second reason that God sent Jesus was just as important. It was because we needed a rescuer. 
Let me say it again. It was because we needed a rescuer. And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, what did we need rescue from? We needed rescue from ourselves. Let me explain. You see, every single one of us comes into this earth with something that we didn't cause, but something that we carry. And it's something called sin. You see, sin is a disobedience of God. Uh, it's it's kind of captured in this Greek word, hamartia. And hamartia just means a missing of the mark. It's a willing separation that we move towards when we separate ourselves from the will, from the plan, from the hope that God has for us. It's a missing of the mark. And because we miss the mark so much, uh, the Bible even talks about this thing. It talks about us missing the mark. Uh, in, over in Romans chapter 3, here's what it says. It says, all of us, every single one of us, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us has done something in our own power that has the potential of separating us from God. And there's a penalty for that kind of separation. There's something that comes along with that. If you look over at the backside of Romans in chapter 6, here's what it says. That the wages of that sin is death. And I know what you're thinking. Why death? That seems kind of harsh, right? Like death? Death is the penalty? Well, I think that's because maybe you don't understand the problem here. Let me say it this way. The, the reason why the penalty is death is because we have taken the greatest being that could ever be, the, the God of all of the universe, the God of all creation, and he has given us very clear instructions on how to live our lives, and we have disregarded those instructions. We just threw them to the side as if they don't matter, as if they're not important. We needed rescuing, y'all. I mean, I definitely needed rescuing. I told you, I got kicked out of Sunday school. And I couldn't rescue myself. And that's why God sent Jesus. I told you earlier that every great gift has a response. Uh, so let me just ask you this. In light of God sending Jesus, what is your response? And your response will not happen by you simply saying what your response is. Uh, that response is going to happen in the way that we live our actual lives. So I want you to just hold on to that response for a minute. We're going to come back to that in, in just a few moments. So God gave us Jesus. And then, and then the passage kind of goes over and it moves a little further in. And it says that he gave us Jesus so that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but would have eternal life. Now, this perishing idea, uh, when I first read this passage, right, this perishing idea is, is something that I thought meant it's just death, right? Like you just die. Perishing equals death. The truth is, is that the more I researched the idea of perishing, I came to realize that perishing is more than just dying. Like perishing is this different thing. It's actually more than just dying. It's like this slow death, like perishing is a little bit different than that. Perishing is like slowly fading away from God's purpose and plan for your life. You see, perishing is like this kind of slow creep that happens over time where we take our eyes off God and we slowly start to move 
out of the framework that God has for us. It's like this slow fade that happens and we don't even recognize that it's happening, but it is. And we get to this place where there's nothing left of God's plan and purpose for our lives. But this emptiness, it's a slow fade to black. It's a slow fade from the purpose and the plan that God has for us. That's perishing. You know what's what's crazy about perishing? How quickly we adjust to it. How quickly we start thinking that it's normal. You see, when I first left the stage, you probably was wondering what I'm doing. But then your eye adjusted and it became normal. What's crazy about perishing is how quickly we adjust to it. But that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God wants for any of us. As a matter of fact, what that passage says is that he came so that we wouldn't perish, but instead that we would have everlasting, eternal, long life. You see, he doesn't want any of us to move out of the frame that he's created for us. As a matter of fact, he kind of wants the opposite. He wants us to have eternal life. And what's the thing that ties together this, this, this eternal life? What brings us to this eternal life? Well, he says it in the passage. He says that the thing that brings us to eternal life is our belief. Our belief in him. Our simple trust in God. You know, belief is this interesting word too. Uh, my wife and I uh, recently celebrated uh, a great milestone in our lives when we found out that our daughter, who's our oldest child, is actually getting married to a solid young man very soon. Um, he proposed and, and she said, yes, y'all can clap, y'all can clap. That's a good thing. Yep. It's a good thing. We've been praying for that for a very long time, um, that she would meet a solid young man Um, who would just lift up God and and lead well in the family. And so we are excited about that. Um, He's a solid young dude, um, great guy. And, uh, you know, when she shared the news with us, we were actually pretty happy because we had gotten to know him over a five-year period. Now, when I first met this young man, um, I flew, my wife and I, we flew to Nashville, and we got to meet him. We sat down at the table. Um, I may or may have not levied some threats. Like, um, I may have said something like, um, I will take you out and preach at your funeral. <laughs> if you mess with my daughter. <laughs> and I think he understood me, but I'm not really sure he believed me. Right? So um, later on, I flew him in to uh, come see us and come spend time with us. And he came here to Raleigh. And, and I still had some reservations. So I made reservations for two. Me and him at the pistol range. 
I'm not kidding. And he came over and uh, he was excited about it. I don't know why, but he was excited about it. And we got to the pistol range and I actually enjoy shooting. It's kind of uh, therapeutic for me. Y'all pray for me. But we got there and, and I, I looked down range and I said, I got to hit every shot in the same hole. So I fired about 10 well-aimed shots right in the center of the target. And there was this moment where I knew that this was going to be my future son-in-law. Because this young man without missing a beat leaned over to me and said, point taken, sir. That's a true story. I was like, that's the right guy. That's the right guy. He could, he could take a hint. You see, it was then that I knew he believed. You see, belief is more than just a cognitive understanding of something. Belief is more than just this recognition of a fact or more than you just simply understanding something. Belief actually changes how you live. That young man believed I was serious about the care for my daughter, and so it changed how he behaves. Belief should actually change something about how we live. And when we say that we believe, you got to understand, that's a big deal. But it's so simple to do. It's so simple to just trust and believe in God. It's so simple to do that. But I think oftentimes we think it's this complicated thing. It's kind of like this verse, right? It's just so simple. So easy to do. You see, I told you earlier that I moved through every phase of those different phases of John 3.16. Uh, when my Sunday school teacher came out, it was the first verse I ever learned, the first thing that I ever heard about the idea that God loves me. And, and I understood it just a little bit, but it hadn't begun to change my life. And then I just kind of went a little wayward over time. I just kind of, I heard it, but I didn't understand it. And so I set off to do my own thing. And I started living life for myself. I started doing my own thing. And then when I was on active duty in the military, this, this young man met me and he shared the gospel of Jesus with me. He shared the good news. And he used this exact same verse, John 3.16. Of all the verses. And I had spent some time learning about God. But that was the day that I believed. That was the day that I said, God, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. And I'm going to trust you with the rest of my life. And I did. I did trust him with the rest of my life. And people will tell you, this is the day when everything got better, right? It wasn't the day when everything got better. Some things got better. But the truth is, is that it was a journey. It was a little bit of a battle at times. Trying to choose to trust God instead of trusting my own instincts and my own desires. But I did. I just kept trying to trust him and kept trying to trust him. You see, I had let this verse settle into my heart. But if I'm honest with you, at times it was difficult to see what God was doing. But I chose to trust him. And every time I felt myself drifting, perishing, I just said this verse again. And I inserted my name into the narrative. God so loved Dwayne. 
that he sent his only son so that Dwayne wouldn't perish, but that he would have eternal life. And I spoke the good news of Jesus Christ to myself. I gospeled myself, y'all. And then later in life, I was confronted consistently by this verse, so much so that it changed the trajectory of my life. You see, I was headed towards a great career in the military, and God turned all of that in a different direction. Not that there's anything wrong with a career in the military, but God has used my life. He's changed my life so that I could use passages like this one to change the lives of others. That's good news. It's good news of great hope that can be found in Jesus. And I know at all of our physical campuses, and for those of you watching at gethope.tv, here's what I know. I know that when I started walking off the stage and I was talking about perishing, that there are some of you who are in that place right now in your lives. When I started talking about it, you said, Dwayne, that's me, I'm perishing. With that's you, I want you to know that we have a clear and present hope in Jesus. You know how I know? Because this verse tells me so. You know what else I know? I know that there are some of you who may have been familiar with this verse when you were growing up. You might have memorized it, but it's been a long time since you've allowed it to change your life. Well, I'm hoping today that you see it with fresh eyes and with new hope. And then for that last group, who you know that this verse has changed your life, I want to invite you to allow this verse to change you so much that you want to use it to change the lives of others. No matter where you are on the scale, this verse can change your life. Because God used it to change mine. I knew, I know that he can use it to change yours as well. You see, I said earlier in the message that with every great gift, there's an opportunity for a great response. And I asked you, what is your response? Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in just a moment. If you recognize that God is exactly who he says he is. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you recognize that God can save you, that God can change your life, that he came so that you wouldn't perish, that he sent his son Jesus into this world, if you recognize that, well, you can choose to trust Jesus right where you are. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And there's nothing special about the prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's just really a confession of what God is already doing in your heart. So with every eye closed and all of our physical campuses, every head bowed, for those watching at gethope.tv, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this simple passage that you have given to us. And I believe that your word is true. 
And I believe that it has the power in and of itself to change our lives. And Father God, I know that there are some here tonight who saw that pattern of perishing. And maybe for the first time, this verse brought new hope to them. So Father, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit and that you, they would trust you for all the days of their lives. Now, if you are that person, I want you to repeat after me. God, I recognize that you died for me. That you sent your son Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for my sins. So I ask you to fill me with your spirit, to come into my life, to help me to trust you with who I am and the direction that you have for my life. Help me to serve you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close with one more prayer. And in this prayer, I'm going to ask for God's blessing on those of you who are at maybe a different stage. So let's just close our eyes one more time and let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. Father God, I pray tonight for those who are here and maybe they've heard this passage, but maybe they haven't allowed it to change their lives. Father, I pray for a refreshment of this verse in their souls. I pray that they would choose to trust you so much so, Father God, that they would allow you to use them to reach others with this same passage of Scripture and others just like it. Father God, we want to be a church that loves people where they are. And we know that your word is a big part of that. Your word changes lives. So we trust you with all of this. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray.